What is up, world? John Shu here for another Puff Creative Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of being with Bree Franklin, Executive Director at the Colorado Coalition Against Sexual Assault. Bree, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Me and my thanks kid. for thanks for joining. What's your what's your kitty's name? This is Winnie. Winnie, I love that name. Well, thank you, Winnie, for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, Brie, we met, I want to say like three or four years ago now. Um, Yeah, yeah, we were in search for a nonprofit to do an event with. Um, There's a lot of synergy between Sakasa and Puff Creative. We threw a night of awareness. Uh, We did another one a year later and then COVID happened. So we're hoping we're hoping we can get the third night of awareness going uh, over the next year or so. So I'm really excited about that. And in that time, we've been, had the pleasure of working on some really, really great campaigns with you, some that we're currently working on, which is exciting and we'll get to. Um, but first, I just want to see if you give us a higher level overview of the Colorado Coalition Against Sexual Assault, SACASA. Um, tell us a little bit about your organization. Yeah, so we are a statewide coalition. Um, We've been around for about, oh gosh, 35-ish years. Oh, Uh, wow. Even more. Um, We were founded in 1984, so whatever that math is. Um, And we uh, do training and technical assistance for local service providers. So our member organizations are like the local rape crisis centers, as well as other service providers who work with sexual assault victims. And then our other arm is that we do policy work primarily at the state level, uh, but we also promote things at the federal level, um, specifically around like the Violence Against Women Act um, and other funding for victims of crime. Um, So that's kind of the, in a big nutshell, what we do, the the training and, and the policy piece. That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, when did, or I'm sorry, what, yeah, when did, when did you get involved with the program? How long have you been executive director or just involved with Sakasa? I'm gonna move where I'm sitting. This is not good. My dog keeps yeah. looking at my feet. I'm gonna start laughing, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I joined Sakasa at the very end of 2014. So I've been here about about six and a half months or six and a half years or time. Um, and prior to that, uh, that's when I moved to Colorado. Prior to that, I had been working in the Northwest in Washington and Oregon states. Um, I pretty much been involved in the ending violence against women movement and anti-rape movements since college. Um, and yeah, I started out in Washington state. That's where I like went to high school and grew up. That's where you're from? Yeah, mostly. Moved around a lot as a kid, but yeah, where I graduated high school, uh, went to Washington State University and um, started working there and then moved back to the area in Portland, Oregon. Sorry, cat hair. Um, (laughs) It's all good. Actually lived in New Zealand for about two years 
um, and, and did some work there, uh, volunteering um, with like their, they call it a refuge, but their women's shelter and a sexual abuse crisis line there. And then moved back and lived in Oregon for about 10 years before moving here. Um, so yeah, I've been here a little over six and a half years now. Interesting. That's that's awesome. Um, where did you go to school? Uh, I got my undergrad at uh, Washington State University in Pullman, um, and then I actually did um, my master's when I was in New Zealand. So. Oh no way! That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was cool, kind of seeing a different culture there, and um, you know, it felt felt like it was the the fifties there. Like even in Wellington and the big city, people would leave their doors unlocked, and people were just chill. So. <laughs> Interesting. Is, do you, is, is there any other like significant things that you noticed in culture? Um, like uh, even with like victims or survivors that you were dealing with, like um, is there, you know, from your travels or from your studies, like is it more prevalent for, you know, rape or something like that to happen in other areas or is it really just kind of surrounding everyone? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a problem everywhere and, um, you know, it shows up differently in, in different countries sometimes and, and of course laws vary, um, but I think for countries like New Zealand and um, other kind of European colonial countries, there's, there's mostly a lot of similarities in um, the culture and how it shows up and the responses. Um, I think they, I mean, they're a tiny country compared to the United States. Um, yeah. Definitely at that time when I was there, which was like 2003 to 2004, um, they were definitely more progressive. Um, they had legalized prostitution, I think, or they were working on it. Um, more progressive in regards to like being able to help and educate? Yeah, so... Um, yeah, like with legalizing prostitution, then, um, you know, folks who are prostitutes and are sexually assaulted are more likely to come forward um, and seek assistance. Where here, like, you're a criminal. So, you know, can you, can you even sexually assault a prostitute because they're selling themselves? Um, I mean, yes, you can here, but that's kind of the mentality. Um, so some differences like that. Interesting. I never, I never thought about it like that before. Yeah. Um, some differences in just like uh, money and support systems. Um, again, I mean, they're they're a smaller country, so in, in many ways, it can be easier to do things. In some ways, it can be harder. Um, so yeah, it's been a while though, and I'm sure things have changed in the. 16 plus years, is that right? Since I've been there, my God. Well, yeah, time flies. And especially <laughs> after this after this past year, like I feel like yeah. my timing of everything is so off. I'm like, when yeah. did we meet again? <laughs> um, very, very interesting. Um, I would say, you know, how important is it, would you say for there to be, you know, access to educational materials and resources such as Sakasa um, out there? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been doing this work for over 20 years and it's um, easy for me to forget that I, I think even still the general public doesn't, isn't necessarily aware of um, what resources are out there. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if the average person knows that there are rape crisis centers, um, you know, and certainly the average person doesn't know what all the laws are. Yeah. Uh, so for example, this last session, we actually just passed two really significant laws. Uh, one eliminates the civil statute of limitations for child sexual abuse. So what that means is um, previously, so there's two legal systems, there's the criminal and the civil. So criminals where, you know, someone's found guilty and they might go to prison and all of that. Civils where you can sue someone for damages. Um, and previously in the civil system, if you were sexually abused as a child, you had six years after you turned the age of majority, so 18, to, um, wow. to file a civil suit. Um, and what we know is the vast majority of child sexual abuse victims, the average rate for disclosing is in their 50s. So most victims couldn't use, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't use the, the civil system because they weren't ready to disclose and go through all of that um, within that short time frame. Um, because so, there's a there's a lot of emotional baggage that's involved with that process and yeah makes it make I mean, sense. Yeah like this this happens while they're developing um, you know so it has a lot of impact on that. There's a lot of shame and guilt that many survivors experience. Um, even though it's not their fault, um, you know, they've been told by an adult that don't tell anyone. If you tell someone, you know, something bad's going to happen. Um, so there's a lot of work that they have to do to, to process and heal from that and, and figure out next steps. Um, so we, we have eliminated the civil statute of limitations now in Colorado. Um, I think it's effective next January. Congrats, that's um, huge. Yeah, so moving forward, sorry, cat hair. Um, okay. <laughs> so moving forward, um, they, they'll have unlimited time to, to sue. Um, we also passed another bill which created a new form of action, a new civil um, tort, so that survivors could sue the institutions, so not just the person who harmed them, because also oftentimes that person doesn't have a ton of money. So yeah, totally. you're not really going to get much out of that unless it's Bill Cosby or something like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, now we're actually waiting for the governor to sign it um, right now. But this bill um, would allow victims to sue institutions that knowingly covered up sexual abuse. So, you know, we've heard a lot in the last several years about the US gymnastics, uh, about the Catholic church, about the Boy Scouts. Like they knew there were people committing sexual abuse and instead of getting rid of them, they would just move them around um, or cover it up. And so this would allow victims to sue those institutions for the harm um, you know, that they knowingly caused. So, um, 
yeah it's, so it's insane that that's even a thing yeah like i can't believe that some like some of these large organizations that have been around forever you know that's that's the their resolution to the what they you know the problem um yeah. how you know so how common is it for you know you mentioned that folks aren't even aware that there's crisis centers probably in their local neighborhoods or nearby and resources such as Sakasa in their communities. How common is it that just you know, an average, you know, human um, isn't aware how many victims and survivors are even around them? I know personally, um, I thought that I was aware and I've always been a supporter of the cause, um, which is why, you know, I was very happy that we collaborated on our event. Um, but after our event and after going through speaking with you and looking at your resources and then talking to people who attended the event and having people open up to me, um, even my mind was open more to, you know, the reality of a lot of human situations in regards to, you know, being a survivor and a victim. Um, mm -hmm. do you, I'm, I'm sure you, do you see this as well? Just like the average person probably has no idea. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it was like 2017 where Me Too like really, you know, became raised in public awareness, even though stuff's been happening forever. Um, so I think that has helped people are more aware. But yeah, I don't know that they necessarily know how prevalent it is and um, how likely it is that they know people who have experienced it. Um, our, you know, our best research, social science research, that's, that's not based on um, reporting rates because sexual violence is one of the most underreported crimes. So if you only go off of police reports, you're going to miss a ton. Um, but social science research estimates that uh, an average of one in four women and one in six men will experience some form of sexual violence in their lifetime. So you know, you, you know, people, they, they haven't yep. told, but you know, people. Yep. That's leading into, um, I want to talk about some of the educational resources that um, we've worked on and that you current other campaigns you have, and then also just resources outside that. And I want to start with uh, recently, we just collaborated on uh, a sexual assault awareness guide together. Um, and that co that, that corresponded with uh, your Denim Day campaign uh, that you do every April. Um, mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit more about Denim Day and also the, the guide that we produced? Yeah, so April is um, National Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So nationally, a lot of um, organizations and states and whatever um, recognize that and promote awareness around sexual assault. And so um, Denim Day is also actually an international movement. It was started because in the, um, I think it was the 90s, there was a case in Italy where um, a young woman was assaulted by her driving instructor, sexually assaulted by her driving instructor. And the um, judge ruled that it couldn't have been sexual assault because her genes were so tight that she would have had to have helped him remove them. So therefore it was consensual. Um, yeah, craziness. 
Um, and so what happened then was the women of the Italian parliament um, gathered on the steps and um, protested, raised awareness around that. And so that kind of started. Um, so they wore denim and that's kind of how denim day got started. Interesting. I, like because of the jeans comment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And this, I never knew that. Yeah. This idea that like um, just all the kind of myths and misconceptions around sexual assault and and how we blame victims and and let perpetrators off and you know all the different ways that with this particular crime we try to explain it away whereas we just don't really do that um, we always use the the analogy of like if I left my wallet you know I have my wallet in my back pocket and I'm walking down the street and somebody steals my wallet you know, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have had it in my back pocket where it was easy to take, but nobody will blame that person for that. We see that as theft. And yep. yet a woman, you know, can dress sexy. And if she's sex sexually assaulted, society will come up with all the different ways of why she deserved that and what she did to, you know, make that happen. Um and, and, you know, and then going beyond that, recognizing that sexual violence happens to not gender non-conforming individuals and men as well, which is, you know, can be even more um, nuanced as to how we like frame that and blame victims, et cetera. Um, so yeah, so we, so that's, it's the fourth Wednesday in April every year and we um, have, piggybacked on international to do Colorado Denim Day. Um, and even before the pandemic, we a lot of it's online where we ask folks to um, post pictures of themselves in denim and talk about um, why they support survivors, help us raise awareness. Um, and so it was actually pretty natural and easy to transition that to being primarily online during COVID. Um, we used to get nice pictures of, you know, we would have cor corporations and agencies um, participate and they, you know, have a big team picture with everybody in their jeans. Um, oh, yeah, I think I remember seeing those. Yeah, now yeah, it's all individual. Screenshots. <laughs> yeah, um, we have hashtags we use for that to help raise awareness. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, this year kind of piggybacking on that, we, um, you know, worked with you all to create this guide, uh, which just kind of, again, like talks about some of those myths and misconceptions and um, talks about reality, the reality of what happens and provides resources um, for folks, uh, both who've experienced sexual violence, as well as for friends and family who are the the folks who that survivors are most likely to disclose to so how you can support someone yeah that was yeah we really enjoyed collaborating with you on that and we on top of the guide, we were able to break down the guide even further into digestible information for social media um what's the, the i know you have a specific landing page for the denim day where the guides hosted what's the main url for the denim day mm -hmm. it's coloradodenimday.org great Nice. I'll, I'll be sure to plug that into the uh, the podcast uh, description. <laughs> Brain's not yeah. working as well, <laughs> uh, so folks can can access that. Um, what other campaigns are you currently working on uh, that you can share that are good resources for for folks? 
Yeah, so our big campaign that we um, developed and launched um, over the past two years is um, called You Have the Right, and the URL is youhavetherightco.org. Uh, and the intent behind that is um, to provide a place where, um, you know, if you're Googling, I was sexually assaulted, you just want to know some information. Um, we, there's a map on the page that's interactive where you can find out what services are available in your area. Um, and then the idea around the tagline, you have the right, is to talk about the reporting options that we have here in Colorado. Um, because again, like going back to laws and changes, there, there have been some laws around how um, sexual assault survivors can report and receive services in Colorado. But again, like your average person probably doesn't know what those are. Um, yeah. so provide some of those information. So here in Colorado, you can um, do what we call an anonymous report um, and have forensic evidence collected. Um, so have a rape kit done um, without having to um, talk to law enforcement or for them to have your identifying information. And this is important for a couple of reasons. One, um, and it still happens sometimes because there's even, even though we do training, there's you know turnover in service providers. Um, and, and again, like even ER staff at hospitals sometimes don't know these things, um, but it happened more frequently where a survivor might show up at a hospital and, and the minute, you know, once staff found out that they were raped, they would just automatically call law enforcement and be like, oh, that's a crime. We got to call law enforcement and they would come mm -hmm. in. Um, and so, you know, we had concerns that survivors wouldn't get medical attention that they needed um, to treat injuries, to take care of concerns around STIs or um, pregnancy um, because they didn't want to talk to law enforcement. So they would just forego getting medical treatment. Um, so that was a big concern and one of the reasons why we wanted to change the law. And then the other is that, you know, when you've been sexually assaulted, you're traumatized, you're in, you're in crisis, it's really hard to make decisions and, and understand what those decisions, what those impacts might be. Yeah, um, of course. And you just like, you just want to take care of yourself. Um, so and, and our criminal justice system, your, aver your average person, I mean, doesn't understand how it works. It's very complicated. So it can be very overwhelming in that moment to be like, I have to report. I don't have to report. Do I want to, you know, do I want to go through this process? And so um, victims might choose not to report, but then later down the road, wish they had gotten that evidence collected because then they decide they do want to do something. Um, and we had found kind of an anecdotally talking with service providers throughout the state and, and some of the um, data we were able to get that it's usually within 72 hours that victims um, might decide that they would want to report if they hadn't initially. And unfortunately, I mean, you can still do some evidence collection, but a lot of it could be gone by then. Um, so this provides victims the option to go to the hospital to get a rape kit done. Um, that, that evidence is then stored um, with like a number that 
So, and because then, you know, chain of evidence has to go to police and they hold it, but they, all they have is like a number. They don't have any identifying information. Um, so then that gives that, that survivor that time, that window time to kind of figure out what they want to do for next steps instead of having to make that decision like right then in the moment when something just happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's amazing that, that you're able to, to, to not only help make change in legislation, but also provide additional resources as well. Yeah. Um, so the, the website and the campaign provides all kinds of information like that. Um, you know, it, stuff that was um, similar to the guide that we created with you all around like what to what to expect or, you know, what, yeah, what to do <laughs> might react. And there's a section of information for family and friends, again, how you can support someone if they if they tell you that something's happened. That's so important. Um, for folks that are outside the state of Colorado, would you say, um, would you guide them? Would you say that your resources are helpful to them? Or is there other resources that you you suggest that maybe they, they check out? Mm -hmm. I mean, does, like does, does every state have a SACASA, I guess is my question. Yeah, so every state has, um, has a state coalition. Um, so definitely, you know, Google, look for your state coalition. Um, there is a, uh, a website and an organization called the National Sexual Violence Resource Center. Um, and they, you know, if you go on there, you can find your state coalition. Um, I think the information, at least as far as like supporting and, and um, you know, like one of the pages is even, was I raped? Like, do I, you know, was I sexually assaulted? Like, what, what is that? If you're just not sure, you, something doesn't feel right. Um, but, you know, you're oftentimes the societal definition of rape is a stranger jumping out from a bush in a dark alley, whatever, with a knife, you know, like, but the, it's broader than that. Yeah. But then some of the, you know, we, like I said, we have an interactive map that's just for services in Colorado. And of course, some of the, the reporting um, pieces are, are specific to Colorado and other states have other laws. Um, but yeah. Cool. That's great to know. Well, Bree, I really appreciate your time. I'm totally going to plug in all the resources we talked about into the podcast description. Um, and yeah, I hope you have a really great rest of the day. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks, you too. We enjoy working with you and thanks so much for your support. Uh, it's, a, it's my pleasure, everyone. We enjoy it as well.